Hey, this is Zuri Berry. Before we get to the podcast, I want to tell you why this project is so important to Donnell and me. We started this with the goal of telling the stories of journalists who look like us in this industry we love. We want to recognize talent, celebrate achievement, and give some flowers to some people who are really deserving to have the spotlight put on them. But also, it's really important that we hear from our fellow black journalists at this particular moment in time when our industry has enormous challenges and our presence as commentators, experts, political writers, on-air talent, and investigative reporters seem optional to some. That doesn't sit right with me, and I hope it doesn't sit right with you either. I hope you're here to hear just as much about the successes as you are about the struggles, whether it's the struggle to get that first job to find a space where you feel like you belong, to find the bravery to strike out on your own or to have your voice heard, whether it's about the current state of media or otherwise. And so we want to thank you for supporting us by listening. And we want to ask you for your direct support of the production of this podcast. You can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash black journos and donating today. That's buymeacoffee.com slash black journos. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you. Now, on to the interview. This is the Black Journalist on Journalism podcast, a ZMC podcast production. This is Donnell Suggs. I'm here with my partner, Zori Berry. And hey. today we have a special guest, Mr. Kari Thompson. Kari, how are you doing, brother? I'm great. How are you doing, Donnell? What's up, Zuri? Fantastic, man. Fantastic. Doing well, doing well. Good to see you. And I'm I'm excited about having this conversation because you're working in a role that I previously did yeah. years ago now at this point. <laughs> and I'm excited to see, hear about how it's changed and what it means for you and, and everything. So small world, that's right? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Small world. I grew up reading you, Zary. <laughs> oh snap. <laughs> 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 Don't make me feel <laughs> I, not intentionally, but yeah, you know, it's a compliment, man. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. you. You're a Boston Latin grad, which is also really cool. And then let me let me just start there, if I could, Donnell, if you don't mind, yes, please. because one of the interesting things that I think happens in in most news organizations is they say they want to diversify. They say they want people who represent the community, and here you are working for the Boston Globe. Uh, Boston.com, and you are from Boston. You yep. went to Boston Latin. Can you just talk about that just real quickly? Yeah, I mean, it's a dream come true, obviously, being a sports fan, growing up in Boston, dream about getting a job that'll let you go to the games. And, you know, it, it took me a winding 10-year path to get here, but now I'm covering my teams and my city. And as you touched on, just being like Black Bostonian, born and raised, Boston Public Schools product, like... It's interesting. Like, there's not too many of me. <laughs> unicorn. You're a unicorn. Let's uh, just be honest. I, I don't know right. about all that, but yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's got to be cool to walk the same streets you walked, see the same things you've seen as a kid, and now it's like, I'm one of those guys I was reading in the Sunday paper. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. I mean, every time, you know, my stuff makes it in the globe, it's a point of pride. And obviously, Boston.com is free, so everybody be reading it. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool, man. So so let's walk through your background and your journey because that's yeah. what we're here for. This this podcast is all about understanding the journalists that are representing them in news organizations in the media and where they come from and 
what their, for lack of a better word, journey in this moment is. So tell us about where you started in terms of your media and journalism career, what you were doing in college and how you first got your crack into the business. Sure. So I started out blogging when I was in high school and, you know, it didn't go anywhere, but it gave me kind of, you know, that, that knowledge that, okay, this is what I want to do. So applied to journalism schools for college. I got a full ride to Hampton University. That's where I went. Free school. <laughs> Best decision I ever made. I had a bunch of newspaper internships while I was at Hampton. I interned at AL.com. I interned at the Woman Can Star News. I interned at the Daily Press and Newport News. And I did SJI, Sports Journalism Institute. So I got two Shout of my- out to three. SJI. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a SJI grad too. We got, a, you. we got a lot in common. Very yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I did SJI. That was, that was big as far as networking and helping me get a job. And yeah, I actually met Phil Kaplan through the, through the process of just, you know, SJI and applying and stuff like that. And, you know, he was one of the people that helped me get my first job in Memphis covering high school sports. So you know, the story gets a lot shorter from there. I covered high school sports in Memphis for three years. And then I spent the last nine months of my and Deion Sanders time in Jackson, Mississippi, <laughs> covering Jackson State football. That's exciting in its own right. <laughs> just just being able to cover primetime. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is going from prime to Belichick. <laughs> my current job. Yeah. Like, I don't think you could find two personalities that are so different, man. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to talk to Kari about covering high school sports in Memphis. The basketball in Memphis is a big deal. Right. High school basketball is a big deal. So I know that had to be a great experience for you, kind of being in the middle of things. Yeah, my first year in Memphis was James Weissman's senior year. So we had the number one player in the country in our backyard and, and I, that was an experience in and of itself because that was a saga from you know them putting together that team to penny getting the job at memphis to wiser and them losing their senior year then the double double the high school association out there stripping one of memphis east titles because of the stuff that went on between penny and wiseman so it, it was a whole saga and it was pretty cool being in the middle of it for sure man that, that i mean so so let me let me back up here because i think this is really cool and i do want to get into the i guess change from Deion sanders to bill belichick and and i certainly have my feelings about covering him for for so long myself but you were in the south and that is a huge difference from being in the northeast in the yeah. boston area can you just talk to us a little bit about that change going into the South, being an intern in newsrooms like in AL.com and, and then in Memphis and, and just what that was like for you culturally, just moving and, and getting up to speed on all of the things and, and the things that are important there. I mean, me being a Boston kid, you know, born and raised in the city, you know, like I, I'd gotten out before, but if you would have asked me what my first three stops out of college would have been, I would have never guessed like Birmingham, Memphis and Jackson. So it was cool, man. I'm a big fan of the South. I like warm weather. I like cheap rank. I like friendly people. I like interesting sports scenes. And, you know, Memphis and Jackson both had all that stuff. And when I was in Alabama, there was SEC football recruiting to cover. So 
there was just a ton of interesting stuff going on. But I like the South. What's your favorite memory from that time period of your life going from those sort of three even distinct uh, cities there? Let's see. Favorite memory. I mean, there's there's a lot, man. There's a, there's a lot of moments. I think a pretty cool one is John Morant actually shouted me out during a press conference. So my name's Kari. His daughter's name is Kari. So like when I asked him a question, he was like, oh, nice name. I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Good moment. Good moment. <laughs> I want to know about when you first came to Memphis, just finding an apartment, trying to figure out your way. Yeah. Memphis is a really cool city, but it's an interesting spot. Like, there's no place like Memphis. I think maybe New Orleans, but New Orleans on a bigger scale. Memphis is quite interesting. So I was very interested in learning about when you first got there. Okay, I work here now. I live here now. Yeah. So tell so, me about that transition. Well, first of all, I drove from Memphis to Boston, Boston to Memphis with all my oh. stuff. So that, <laughs> that was a long day. That was a long drive. It took like, I broke it up like three days and yeah, there was yeah. like, there was a hurricane going up and down the East coast like that week. Yeah, exactly. So I had to like go through the Midwest. Great, great timing, Kari. Yeah. Right. And just, yeah. So I had to go through the Midwest and like, you know, drop down into the South. But, um, you know, it was, it was exciting times because I knew, you know, I was getting to cover some pretty high level high school sports, finding an apartment down there. You know, it was, it was not that bad, you know, just with the help of my parents. I was living downtown, which was pretty cool. And like, because Memphis is so affordable, like, like you can't, on a, you can't do that on a prep salary in most cities, but I was able to, I was right in the mix of everything, like walking distance from FedEx forum and stuff like that. Like, so it was, it little... wouldn't have happened in Atlanta. No, or Boston. Forget about it. I don't even <laughs> think, I don't know how people afford to live in Boston period. Like it's insane. Yeah, it, before we started recording, you were telling us that you uh, live in Dorchester. I was like, "Oh yeah. man, it, you know, when I when I lived in the city, I lived in right at the edge of Dorchester and South Boston." And I yeah. remember thinking, like, "I I don't know if I can do this much longer." And now it's like three times worse. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. I mean, I my grandmother passed, so I'm actually staying at her place. I'm sorry. Yeah. God bless. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. Tell us about this James Wiseman. I think for folks who don't know, he was a, a fantastic basketball player in, in preps and was drafted by my Golden State Warriors. And yeah. this year was just traded to the Detroit Pistons. But um, can you give us a little bit of background on what happened there and what you were in the middle of? Yeah. So, um, again, I arrived there in James Wiseman's senior year. So that was the year he committed to Memphis. That was one of the first stories that I did. Just like he pulled out a unicorn. So I kind of, during his announcement, so I kind of wrote the, where did James Wiseman get this uniform and what is, unicorn and what does it mean <laughs> story? But that, I mean, that kicked off, you know, just a very interesting time. Wiseman, Wiseman's team made it to the state championship game I, that year, but they lost to a high school team out in East Tennessee called Bearden. So, I mean, it was kind of interesting seeing like, you got this seven foot dude who's going to the NBA. There's no one else remotely close to it on the floor. But you guys don't bring home the gold. But that they they had also lost a lot of talent because that was a year after Penny left. And, you know, obviously he took some guys with them to Memphis. So there was that. And then so basically uh, for people who aren't as familiar with what went down with Wiseman was at Memphis, he played like three games or something ridiculous before he got suspended because Penny paid his Penny paid Wiseman's mom 
11500 bucks to move from Nashville to Memphis. Wiseman is from Nashville, so they moved down to Memphis. And so the NCAA uh, didn't really punish Memphis much further than that, but they suspended Wiseman. And I think they were making an example out of Wiseman because Memphis decided to play him after you know they were advised not to. So mm. there was that whole saga. The TSSAA ended up, I think I said before, and, and stripping a championship. When you say Penny, you're talking about Penny Hardaway. Penny Hardaway, yes. That's right. Memphis legend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, University of Memphis coach Penny Hardaway. Former Orlando Magic star Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Little Penny. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Big Penny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. So so you you you're in thick of it there, and you got this huge story that you're covering, and it, it feels like you know, big stories are following you or you're following big stories because you end up in Jackson and yeah. you've got this dynamo of a personality in Deion Sanders to cover. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting ride. I mean, never had I guessed that the number one player in the country would pick an HBCU, but Dion made it happen. I mean, that just speaks to the effect that he has and just Saturdays down in Jackson were electric. Like you had 50 to 60,000 people, probably like another 10,000 more outside the stadium, but people like really showing up to watch these HBCU football games. And it was just, it was interesting, man. It was like, it was like a packed, like rowdy college football environment, but like with some soul, you know what I'm saying? Like people grilling, you know, tell me, how does that compare to Hampton now? I mean, well, I mean, football-wise, Hampton doesn't have the infrastructure. You know what I mean? Like, one of the cool things about JSU is they play in that old Mississippi Veterans Memorial Stadium, so they can seat 60,000 people at a football game. Hampton Stadium is like a third of that size. But, I mean, as far as the actual experience, I mean, there's nothing like Hampton, man. You're out in the water, (laughs) you know, like... Chilling it's a beautiful there. campus. I've been there. Yeah. I was there for a regional NABJ conference. It's wonderful. I absolutely enjoyed it. Campus. Yeah. yeah. I was at both Celebration Bowls here in Atlanta. Yeah. And Jackson State represented in a big way when those fans came out for both those games. Now, they lost both games. They lost both times. I was going to point that out, yeah. But I had been here 17 years in Atlanta covering sports. And for the last, I don't know, 10, I don't know, 8, covering the Celebration Bowl, and up until these last two years, it didn't feel like the whole city was involved. Sure. It felt like it was an HBCU thing. But then now Jackson's involved these last two years, and it feels like the SEC championship game. Obviously, the numbers are different. You're not going to get 80,000 for it. But, I mean, they had 60-something. It was crazy to see that much energy around HBCU football. I'm from outside, inside, just like yeah. the way you described it. But in Atlanta, yeah, it was nuts. Man. I mean, it was it was awesome. I was down there too, and dude, like, it was electric. Jackson State yes. just couldn't pull it home for no. for the JSU faithful that showed up for him. So, you spent time in Jackson all the way up until about mid twenty twenty two, and then you get an opportunity to move to Boston. Come and on, tell Come us on. how that came about and how you landed at the Boston Globe and Boston.com. Yeah. You know, I got I got a heads up that the position would be would be out there and I submitted my application and the and the process went well. And I was kind of looking for 
you know, something, some kind of growth. Cause like, you know, I had covered high schools for a solid, like three years. So I put my time in there, put my time in on the, on the college beat and kind of suspected Dion was going to leave. So like, <laughs> we both found higher ground. Yeah. So I didn't think I would leave before he did, but I thought I might be doing something else in a little bit. And, you know, I was, you know, I was straight up about that when I took the job. So it was time, I guess, for, you know, a bigger move. And like, how can you turn down a chance to cover pro teams in your city? Especially like being a GA, like, you know, general assignment sports reporter, I can do all of it. So I can cover, I can go to Patriots games, you know, do stuff with them, the Celtics, you know, the Red Sox, Bruins. So, I mean, that was really opportunity that I just couldn't say no to. And you you mentioned that somebody gave you kind of a heads up. Who who was that person that sort of said, "Hey, hey, I think you need to apply for this." <laughs> Greg Lee, Greg Lee. Ah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love yeah. a Greg Lee got, reference. Got, got hey, that's my a, man. Gotta give Greg Lee a, a lot for that one, man. A shout out because that was yeah, that was clutch. Yeah, and I think he was a senior editor at the Globe at that time. Yeah, before now he's at Front Office Sports. But man, Greg is is thorough. He's he's the SJI co-director or or whatever it may be. I forget the title there, but he's the person that has connected so many people with opportunities, myself included. He also, way, way, way back when, 2011, nine, whatever it was, you know, put me on to the opportunity at the Boston Globe. Boston oh, Boston, wow. Right so <laughs> wow. so that, that's how, that's how so, thorough he is. You know, he's two. done that for a lot of people. Yeah. Part two. That's all. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Like, what a small world. It is. It is. And the SJI network is is huge. But that story I just shared, that doesn't happen unless we have these conversations like this. I think that's why that's Zoe true. and I wanted to create this podcast because these stories, you have no idea how connected you are with people if you don't get a chance to talk to them and tell them. And yeah. now I'm sure someone else is going to listen to this down the road and go, oh, yeah, because he hooked me up too. And I didn't know you were there. And let's have lunch. And it's just the family that we got to stick together because it's not a ton of us. And you have no idea how close and connected we are if we don't share stories like this. Man, you're totally right about that. So cool yeah. that you guys have all that stuff like that. So tell me, tell us about your experience there in Boston so far. You've been there since summer of last year. We're going yeah. into, you know, late spring, early summer here. Tell us about your experience there. What are you covering? What's your, what's your main focus, if you will, in terms of day-to-day? Walk us through it. So as a general climate source reporter, my job is to cover pretty much anything, like the four pro major sports teams, even if there's an interesting high school or college story, you know, I'll jump on it. But uh, it's it's really about going where I'm assigned. So I jumped in covering Patriots training camp in August, and I, I covered that whole season and you know, the issues that New England had on offense in particular and how just how close they were you know, making it, you know, almost to the playoffs within a game, you could argue. Mm. And so went from Patriots straight into Celtics, um, which has been a fun ride, obviously. They lost mm-hmm. last night. But yeah, so I've been covering the Celtics and I just can't believe that I'm covering the NBA finals potentially run in my city. Wonderful, wonderful. And and l- 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 let's go back to what you mentioned earlier, that yeah. transition from Deion Sanders Again, dynamic personality, effusive. Right. The man talks. He's a talker. 
you walk to uh, yeah, Belichick, Bill Belichick with the Patriots. And um, if you're at those Wednesday press conferences, if you're at their post game and whatnot, you you hear a lot of grunting. You hear a lot of yeah. uh, clearing of the throat. You hear, but not a lot of talking. So what what is that like for you? You also hear a lot of repeating phrases. You know, he loves to do like, we're on to Cincinnati. Like, you know what I mean? He'll go into one of those modes. It is what it's, it is. Yeah, I was there. I was there for the day by day press conference when they just kept asking about, you know, <laughs> the quarterback situation and they weren't talk, trying to talk about it the whole time. Yeah. And every answer, Belichick's like, day by day, Phil. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, day by day. So, so what do you like better in terms of? I, I mean, I know it's like you know everybody wants to cover pro sports, but I could tell you from my personal experience, and maybe Donnell will speak to this too. But I tend to have liked covering the high schools and the colleges more than I did like covering pro sports, and that was partly because of my experience covering the Bill Belichick Patriots. What What do you think about that? Well, Zary, let me ask you, was it like that initially or did it like become like that? Because I'm still in the first phase where like, everything's new. I'm like, oh, no. they they had already won four Super Bowls by the time I got there and started covering them or, or whatever it was. So, yeah, I <laughs> it, he was full on into the I'm not going to answer much or speak. No, much I meant and... your I meant your answer. Like I meant like when you were talking about just how you, you didn't enjoy covering pros as much. Was that immediate or was it gradual? Oh, I think it was gradual. I think it was yeah. gradual. I mean, because, you know, I, I wanted to cover, and again, I'm from San Francisco, in case it's not obvious from the hat, but I wanted to cover... It is obvious the, from the hat. <laughs> the, the Niners, I wanted to, you know, cover pro sports from from that perspective, from the Bay Area. And, you know, when I got into those locker rooms, everything was just new. Yeah. You know? And That's you're where I'm like, at right now. <laughs> it, it, was, it was really cool. And then you, you do it and for, you know one, two, three years, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, like, I want to I want to go cover a team that's actually, you know, has a Deion Sanders type who's loquacious. Like, I, that's what I want. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, obviously, everything Deion says is a headline. So, like, that's pretty great. Like, people care about everything that that guy does. So, that's pretty great from a perspective. It's like, people are going to read your stuff. People are going to notice you. Was the access particularly great? Could I like call, you know, do I have it to the point within the first couple of months that I could call up Deion Sanders whenever I wanted to? No, but, uh, you know, that was an interesting <laughs> experience for sure. But also, I mean, the NFL, man, I don't know if you remember the first time you guys remember the first time you walked into an NFL locker room, but that's one of those moments where it's like, whoa, like yeah. I- I'm here. This is the big leagues, you know? I think my difference for, for what I'm doing in Atlanta covering post sports is what you guys did in probably one of the best sports cities in the world. I'm not going to diss Atlanta. We have everything. But the fact is, you all were coming into programs that have won multiple titles and multiple sports. And Atlanta yeah. welcome the media because of the fact that this Falcons are going to be bad this year. Yeah. The Braves were never bad. Braves were never bad. But they weren't. They didn't win a title until the year before. And Atlanta United is like, come on in. You want to you access? You want that player? Please sure. take him. Sure. So I'm being asked. The access is never a problem here in Atlanta. With the Hawks, forget about it. Whatever I want to do, they please don't do it. You've been covering them for 10 years, whatever you want. And I know that's different when you go into a Patriots locker room. We don't need you. <laughs> yeah. And you, so he shows up on this real quick. Titles. 
Right. Uh, before you could, you chime in, Kari, let me just say this, that I love that little nugget about Atlanta United saying, come, please, because that's exactly how the New England Revolution was <laughs> yeah. when I was here. Exactly. They were like, come over. We want we want you over here, Zuri. Come on. Come cover this. Yeah. yeah. Atlanta dreams the same way. Like, you want somebody? Yeah. Tell me when you have time and I'll get her for you. Yeah. Big difference in a lot of other cities. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. But it was it was interesting though, because I was when I was talking about the actress, I was talking about JSU. I was talking about like, you know, like JSU hadn't wanted anything. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> they, they they had a different regime, man, that was running shift kind of different. Mm-hmm. Dion's experience with the pros kind of came in there and immediately made it into something when there was no history of anything. And yet he's here now and they're running it like a pro team almost, huh? The media and everything. Wow. Let's just say Clarion Ledger and Deion Sanders didn't have the best of relationships even before I got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple incidents. You guys remember that incident when a reporter was calling him Dion? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and Dion walked out of the press conference and said he didn't walk out of the press conference. Remember I that? do remember that. Yeah. yeah I remember that. So that was my paper. <laughs> you know, I remember reports of a black reporter getting banned from Dion press conferences. That was my paper. Different guy. There, uh, there, there is there is some issue that that were apparent well, t- from the start. Tell tell us how you how you guys navigated that and how you navigated that because you know this is actually something really important for younger journalists to understand. And I, and I understand that there's a spectrum of experience here, but like a lot of it is just relationship building or repairing. Yeah. Right. And I think you were in a relationship repairing situation when you got to cover a team like that. So can you talk about that? I mean, I tried. My, my approach was if there was anything where they were letting folks know that they were going to be there, I was going to show up and just see what happened. See if I can bend a few ears, get people to talk to me and establish some goodwill. Did I get kicked out of most of those? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Did I have a face-to-face conversation with the Elm, you know, like, at one of those? Yep. Did it go a long way? No, not really. But you still have to make content. You can't just pack it up and go home, but like, I can't write nothing. So what you do is, what I kind of got taught was to write around them. You know, like, you can develop other sources. JSU has other Hall of Famers that you could do throwback stories on. You can hit harder with the analysis, like... You know, that's the sort of thing where if I don't have it like that, you know, with one guy, that's not the end of the world. There's many ways to skin a cat. And that that's so interesting that you say that as well, because that's how I felt like the sports reporters and writers in the Boston market have to treat the Patriots because there's a lack of access or sources within that building. They're not very talkative. Again, they they always say the sort of same things as you noted. So they find themselves writing around it, doing more analysis. Do you yeah. see that as still the case? Well, some people got it like that, and some people n- don't. You got, you know, you know, some of the real like official reporters they got it like that, man. And somebody got the Mac Jones source because his camp has been putting out so much stuff. <laughs> like yes. somebody got the hook up there. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but no, nah, I mean, there, there's always going to be analysis and features and stuff like that. Cause that's what the audience craves. They want, they want to be told, you know, what, what's going on that I'm not seeing on the TV. Yeah. Yeah. 
I always remember there was at least three reporters that I had to pay attention to because I knew they could break something. Yeah. And that was always like Mike Reese, yep. Karen Garigian at the Herald, and uh, Greg Bedard for a good time. Not sure beat. <laughs> yeah, all of them still there. Longevity matters too in that mm -hmm. situation as well. So, but it's super interesting to me because I felt like, <clears throat> and and I'd love to get your take on this. I felt like that there was almost a lack of storytelling available to to the sports writers in the in the market because they couldn't. I'm talking about specifically on the Patriots beat because they couldn't talk to the players in a way that. You know, let them show their personality. Let them, you know, be a, something more than a player themselves. What do you What do you think about that? Are you able to dig a little deeper with folks than maybe say the X's and O's? Yeah, it feels a little different than the past Patriots team. Like, like they know they're not as good, so like they. I don't think some of the stuff that could have slid in the past is sliding. Like I've seen people get pretty good media access, and like. Oh, there's been a lot of anonymous source stuff going on. So players are willing to say things like the Harold had a whole expose about the dysfunction of the Patriots offense this year, where people were literally saying, I love coach Belichick, but he effed us. That's a quote. Like, you know, like anonymous that. quote. Yeah. I remember an anonymous that. quote. So that's some people are going the anonymous route. Some people are getting their features. I mean, that's one of the cool things about reporting is that whatever you're good at, whatever you can get, that's you. Got it. I think that's a cool part about your job because if that gets a little stale, let me see what's going on in basketball. Let me see what's yeah. going on somewhere else. And that's right. really cool. That's really cool. The beat guys have no choice. <laughs> yeah, that's guys, true. They got to deal with this crap all year long. That's true. That's a good point. Kyrie, do you get to travel a little bit? No, just the home games. Okay. Because, uh, you know, BDC is owned by the Globe. So, um, you know, oh. it's, it's standalone, but the, the Globe is traveling people. So, so for folks that don't know, Boston.com is the free site. Yep. BostonGlobe.com is the paid-for subscription site associated yep. with the newspaper. And historically, you know, prior to this incarnation of it, they were they were one. It was only one site, and it was Boston.com. I remember that. Boston.com was the homepage of the Boston Globe. And that's what I worked for when I was there for four, four and a half years. And at the tail end, the Boston Globe was sold by the New York Times company to John Henry, the current owner, yeah. who is the owner of the Boston the Red, Red Sox, Sox and yep. the Liverpool Football Club. Yep. <laughs> Among other franchises. things. Yeah, it was a huge franchises. Yeah. And so there's... There's, you know, a lot going on there. But as the Globe went under John Henry's ownership, they ramped up the subscription site, bostonglobe.com, and really split the staffs. So they were, while they were integrated or fully integrated, I should say, before, they sort of split there. I don't know if it's different now. Can you talk to us about that? Like, how often do you work with the Boston Globe uh, directly and, and their staff versus just sticking with the boston.com crew? Boston.com is considered a standalone entity under the Globe's brand. That's kind of how they put it. So, you know, it's our own staff. And uh forgot, what's your what's your second question? Are you are you guys coordinating at all with the, the Globe staff, or, or if at all? Sometimes. I'm in some meetings, and when I write something that, I don't know, the Globe wants to pick up, they'll pick it up. But that's kind of it, really. You ever get yourself in the paper? 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice. I think most recently I wrote a I wrote a story on the Trey Young overrated chance. I think my headline was Trey Young's peers voted a most overrated player in the NBA on Celtics fans. Let him hear it. Oh, oh, the athletics. Yeah, the poll. The, the yeah, anonymous the, the poll. Anonymous poll. Anonymous yeah. poll. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in that. Which, you know, that it was it's timely. I mean, you're in the middle of a series and it's just like the guy's not playing well. He wasn't playing well games one and two. And, you know, he finally did something last night. Didn't play well for first half either last night. So that's two and a half games. He was kind of. Yeah. 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 I'm not a big fan of anonymous polls. I'm yeah. an anonymous poll fan. So so what are you excited about in terms of this coming year for for stories to cover? I mean, obviously, right in front of you is the potential of a deep Celtics and Bruins playoff runs. But I'm interested in the storylines that you might want to or, or are looking forward to covering. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that whole run is going to be huge, both from the Celtics and the Bruins. And I'll be focusing more on the Celtics. I don't know. They, there's just so much going on, man. I mean, you got the you got the Red Sox and trying to figure out what they're going to be and what their pickups are going to look like. And, you know, you got the Celtic, you got the Bruins, and then you got a whole heck of a lot of Patriot stuff because you got the draft next week. That's right. Everybody wants to know what they're going to do with that number 14 pick. Like, big stuff going on over here. Quarterback situation. Is Mac Jones the guy? See, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, because everyone... Don't give up on him. Don't give up on him yet. I'm Don't not... Like my jet, please. I'm not giving up on Mac. All I'm saying is, this year was pretty un-Belichickian because it used to be all about the Patriots' way and it used to be all about, like, you know, the best player plays. And if we look at it objectively, you can argue competition, but if you looked at it objectively, same quarterback, same line, same coaches, you could argue different play calls. Bailey Zappi was the better quarterback last year. Like, if we're looking at it for real, for real, that's an eye check. But Mac got the opportunity. They're kind of thinking like some of these other GMs think that you got to cater to your first round pick and stuff like that. That wasn't the mm. Patriots I grew up watching and hearing about, wasn't it? No, no, not at all. No, I remember the controversy over moving from Wes Welker at wide receiver to Julian Edelman. And we all know how that turned out. Wes Welker was on his downward arc of his career and Edelman was on the upswing and he did phenomenal. And I remember the training camp being there and watching with my own two eyes and seeing Edelman dominate that camp and thinking to myself, we got to get this guy the ball. Put the ball in his hands. Do something. He's got to be on the field. And so, I mean, if you're seeing it in that way and objectively, I mean, like, yeah, if he's the guy, he's the guy. But I'm interested in all this scuttlebutt that's going on with, you know, Trey Lance of the Niners and like, you know, these different things. I mean, we're not going to trade for Trey Lance. We just love, we just love crafting narratives. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like, absolutely. they were not getting Lamar Jackson. Like, could you think of a more unpatriots like move to get Lamar Jackson? First of all. Second of all, they had Andy two Moss. chances at drafting him. <laughs> they had two they had two chances at drafting him. They had two first round picks the year he was drafted. Didn't take him then. Like Well, I think there's a difference between proven and unproven quarterbacks, right? Like he's a proven guy now at this point. So there's a different thought process that goes into that. But but I think you're right. Like he's not necessarily like a a, a Belichick style player. And and, no. and what is a Belichick style player? 
guys he likes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that's it. That's, that's his style coaching, to too. That's what we yeah. discovered this season. Like, you know, he's going to put his boys on. Oh, we don't have an offensive coordinator. Matty P. Matt Patricia, you can run the offense. Joe yeah, Judge, help him out. Be quarterbacks yeah, coach. I, I, we're really in the weeds, but for people who don't know, like, that's... That was a disastrous thing that happened this year for the New England Patriots football team, and it it was uh it was well reported on, and I'm sure you're in the middle of that. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you a, a sort of different question? So, in sure. pre- in preparation for this conversation with you, I started looking at your social media, and I was like, "Whoa! Like you do all this electric guitar and <laughs> and tutorials. Tell tell us about what what you do outside." of the sports writing yeah i'm trying to build my youtube channel up man i'm trying to get that subscriber so i can get paid <laughs> i gotta pay these student loans somehow <laughs> but now nah, i've always played guitar since i was a little kid so i was bored during the pandemic i was pick some i was you know was riffing along to some kanye and i was like oh this is pretty cool let me start making videos and i did some tutorials i kind of i don't know what i want to do with my channel now because like I started off like doing interviews and like particularly like sports media interviews, just like this, but I started picking up the guitar too. And I posted like all my old Dion clips up there since I didn't need them anymore. So that helped. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my channel. Do you, do you play at all like in a band or anything uh, uh, outside of work? No, no band for me. Although... Hustle cool music was uh, last night, and it was pretty cool seeing the MLB guys actually playing their band, like Bronson Arroyo. Nice, nice, nice. It's always a good event to go to. Carl, how uh, important is it to have something else that you love to do outside of work? Because I think a lot of us, yeah. we get, we finally get to where we need to go, we get to where we want to be, and we're like, I'm obsessed with it. I was like that. I know Zoe was like that. We were like, oh, I'm obsessed with this. But we have families, obviously, so that's sure. we have to take time out. For someone young like yourself, tell these other young reporters, yo, you got to have something else, right? Is that important? Yeah, I mean, definitely. You, can't, you go crazy if you think about this stuff 24-7, you know? Oh, Everything yeah. can't be all about deadlines and headlines, you know? So you just got to enjoy life. You know, if you like music, listen to music, play music, do what you like, because it helps recharge the battery, man. If there's a lot of people in our industry I get burnt out regardless of how, how fun people think our jobs are on the, on the outside. It's Can important. you give folks, particularly young journalists who might be listening to this young, you know, journalists who want to be sports writers like yourself, maybe in the Boston market or elsewhere, what, what advice do you give them as they try and embark on this journey? And I would just make one note that you went more of a traditional path. Is that possible for a lot of young journalists at this point? Good questions. Let's start with the advice. I would say the advice is whatever you have in your head that you want to do, just start doing it. Like, it's simple advice, but the reality is, like, I started typing away on my computer in high school, led to a scholarship, led to me working at the newspaper. Like, it just led to all these unforeseen things because I committed myself to the journey. I was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care. I have to move across the country to do it. Like, I'm just going to do it. So it took me on all types of adventures that I never thought I would get in life, like living in the South. So that would be one piece of advice as far as whether my path is as feasible. I mean, I think it's been well reported that 
newsrooms, particularly print newsrooms, are getting smaller and smaller by the day. Some are even closing. And that's not to say it's impossible, but I am to say I am saying that there are fewer opportunities at it, and that's why you got to attack it and actually be serious about it. Because at the end of the day, it's a business, the competition, a position battle, if you will. So, you know, there's 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 roster cuts all the time in journalism, unfortunately. So. You got to make sure you're one of those irreplaceable dudes, man. Better to try to be MJ than to be a role guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to get up on that hockey. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> For real. Kari, it's been wonderful chatting with you. Just getting to know you and getting to hear a little bit about your experiences. I think it's been really cool to see somebody like yourself get to cover amazing personality like a Deion Sanders and then get to cover a Hall of Fame coach like Bill Belichick now as well as you know the the prestige of Boston sports which is always cool and you're in the middle of it right now as they get to going into the playoffs so happy for you and glad to know you now thanks Thanks. yeah I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast awesome conversation yes keep doing what you're doing you've gained a new fan my man (laughs) thank you (laughs) 